0: heard that I wasn't here last week, but I heard that Craig did a, a great job uh, bringing the message last week. He, he told me that he did a good job. I've, I've had uh, to raise a question or two with the Lord about Craig, because, you know, he has talent musically, and then he can teach, and he's tall and good looking, and gets to stand up here and sing with the Brady girls, and... I didn't get any of those, so, you know, life just isn't fair sometimes, but I was having a conversation with Craig, and he told me that uh, he generally doesn't get nervous to stand in front and speak, and um, that's another unfairness, because for me, it's somewhere between terror and a heart attack, and, uh, you know, sitting down in front, it's just like I start shaking almost, but... uh, so I, I have to loosen up or else, or else you're going to get nervous. So um, I, I guess the best way to do that is just to kind of tell, tell on myself. I, I had, um, just before Christmas, a little altercation. It was a fight, really. And uh, <coughs> I was, I was um, at the light up here on uh, Bowles and Sims, and I was in the right lane, and um, I wanted to go straight. And a guy came up behind me, and he wanted to turn. And... Um, he would, I saw him in the rearview mirror and he was coming too fast and I knew, you know, it was going to be a problem. And, and sure enough, he bumped me. And I didn't like that very much and kind of made me mad. And so I got out of my car to see if there was any damage and he got out of his car and this guy was a big guy. I mean, you know, in the six, five, six, seven, six, you know, once you get past 6, 5, they're all giants to me, so... And, it, you know, I, I stood there and I just felt like a dwarf. Um, but it didn't matter because I was mad. So when you're mad, you know, you don't care how big they are. So I, I just walked up to him and, and I, I folded my arms and I looked up at him and I said, I am not happy. <laughs> and he looked down at me and he said, OK, I give. Which one are you? And that's how the fight started. (laughs) Now, those of you who didn't quite get that just think Snow White and her companions that had different names, and maybe you'll figure that out. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and and we'll get started. Now that you know, I have a warped sense of humor. Father in heaven, we thank you for this service, and we sense your presence here, and uh, we've given uh, ourselves and our hearts to you already and worship you, and now we pray that you would speak to us. Um, uh, in some way this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. We find ourselves in the early days of January on the other side of Christmas. That's a a phrase that's loaded with a lot of different images, sort of like it's time to pay the piper for our indulgences. Most of those images um, we don't like to think about, and I'm not going to bring them up, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Diet, you know, bills, things like that. There's another meaning we could attach to the the phrase, the other side of Christmas, though, and and that is what I do want you to think about this morning with me. Maybe the best way to bring that into focus is um, to contrast two ways that we look at Christmas, both of which come from views we hold of Jesus. They're both good, um, but they both represent different sides of Christmas. The first image is from a song the Sweet Little Jesus Boy. I think I loved that song from the very first time I've, I heard it. And I have always liked it uh, in any, any uh, form that it's sung. Either you know a rich operatic tenor singing that or, uh, or um, somebody with a guitar singing it. There's a perfect blend of words and melody. There's the paradox, the paradox of God in the form of a, a vulnerable little baby and our deep emotional draw toward him. There's the, the beauty of his intention to save us and our desperate need and the confession of our spiritual blindness. We didn't know who you were. It's all wrapped up uh, in, in the simple beauty of a song. That's one side of Christmas. And generally, we think about that side of Christmas going into the holiday. The other side of Christmas um, I find in the Psalms, particularly in Psalm 45, and 110. These psalms have been connected in many Christian traditions to Christmas, but the image they use is very different from the sweet little Jesus boy. They're pictures of the Messiah. I want you to read with me from Psalm 45, and if you would um, just stand together with me as we read this, it'll be up on the screen for you. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Be seated, if you would. Powerful words. On one side of Christmas, we see Jesus as the sweet little baby. The one we just read imagines a prince who rides forth into battle for truth and humility and righteousness. A king who rules with justice and hates wickedness, who fights and destroys the enemies of God. At some contrast, sweet little Jesus boy and this powerful prince, this king, Both of those images, as I said, are true and good, but it seems to me that we gravitate toward the sweet little Jesus boy a little more readily than the image of the conquering king. The world, I think, you might agree, has for the most part accepted the sweet little Jesus boy notion. But from the beginning, those who held power and craved more found the birth of the king to be a threat. I want you to think with me about Matthew 2 and the story of the magi that came to visit Jesus, that followed the star. And you remember how they stopped and uh, they, they visited the, uh, the, the ruler of that area, Herod, to let them know why they were there. And they explained that they had seen a star and they had come to worship a king. And Herod uh, craftily said, Well, listen, when you come back, let me know where he is so that I can worship him too. But we all know what his real motive was that he wanted to find the king that would be a threat to him, a rival king, and he wanted to kill him because Herod loved power. Herod was a- an awful man. He killed his brother, he killed his wife, and he killed two of his sons. It is said that five days before he died, he arrested many people to have them executed on the day of his own death just to guarantee a proper spirit of mourning in the land. He wanted the baby Jesus dead. And he was willing to kill as many other babies as needed to make sure he got to Jesus. There's a similar story. It's found in Revelation 12, and we won't look at that this morning specifically, but let me just tell you what goes on there. It's, it's the story of the resistance of the birth of a child, but it's on a cosmic level, in heaven. And uh, we see that a, um, uh, a dragon, a power-hungry monster, wants to kill this baby. And the story unfolds, and we realize that the baby is Jesus, and that the monster, the dragon that wants to kill him, is Satan. As we read through the chapter, uh, we see that intention. And when Satan is unsuccessful in that, all-out cosmic war begins between Satan and the archangel Michael, and Satan is defeated. The parallel between these two stories and these two despots is uh, fascinating. Both want to prevent the child... From coming into his role as a king it's clear to me that this is the world's position with regard to jesus it's okay for him to stay in the manger but that's about it we'll accept the sweet little jesus boy but not the powerful king who comes to do the will of god and set things right the rejection of jesus as king carries with it many consequences but the most glaring is the loss of what he offers to the people of the world. What we need, we think, and what we want most. Peace on earth. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the only one capable of bringing peace, both in our hearts and in our world. I grew up in um, a tradition of singing hymns in the church. We used to refer to the hymn book as almost equal to the Bible for worship. You had to have both of them. One of the quirks I remember about hymn singing was the skipping of stanzas, usually the third stanza especially. Hymns, you see, often have several verses or stanzas, and they're basically poems like most songs are. I can almost hear the worship leader, we used to call them song leaders or choir directors, um, in churches I grew up, saying as we would stand up to sing a hymn, any hymn almost, we'll sing the first, the second, and the last stanza. I never really knew what the prejudice was against the third stanza, but it was obviously there. I think you would probably have to find an old guy who was a song leader, Steve Burns, to, uh, to help explain that to you, um, what that deal was for the third stanza, why we never sang it. The result is now when I hear an old hymn or even a Christmas carol that includes the third verse, I'm often amazed at the new words that someone found. I told you that to tell you this. I rediscovered uh, an old carol this year, and what caught my attention, in in addition to a different tune and style, was the words of the third stanza. I want you to listen to it with me. It's in a recording, it's um, um, a a video, it's uh, from YouTube, it's not a John Burns production, so don't expect that level of excellence here. John told me to say that. But... uh, I want you to listen carefully. Actually, in this particular recording, the second verse is the third verse of the song. Don't get confused by that, but um, I want you to listen to it with me. On earth, goodwill to men, and the bells are ringing like a choir. my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. for hate is strong and mocks the sun, here's the point I'd like to make from that. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the great American poet, wrote the words to that song. He wrote them in a poem. He wrote them on Christmas Day in 1864. The Civil War had not yet ended in America, and uh, Mr. Longfellow had, had dealt with a lot of tragedy in his life. In 1861, his wife died when her dress caught on fire and she was burned to death. And she ran into his study to see if he could help her and it's said that he wrapped his arms around his wife to try to smother the flames. But she died anyway and he was badly burned in that process. In his journals, each of the Christmases that followed, he would say, I, I can't celebrate Christmas this year. I don't have any joy in my heart. In 1863, his son, his, his oldest son, was wounded uh, in the Civil War and was um, disabled the rest of his life. And in 1864, here we see Henry Wadsworth Longfellow writing those words, and can you imagine as it starts out? I heard those bells on Christmas Day, and they have a familiar Ring and a familiar message, and the message is peace on earth. And then by the third verse, he says, And in despair, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Wow. You know, he, he recovered in that poem and in the song, and goes on to say, that God is not dead, nor does he sleep, that the wrong will fail, the right prevail, and peace on earth, goodwill to men will come. Somewhere between um, the hope expressed in the first verse and the faith expressed in the last verse, we're stuck in the middle. We're stuck on the, between the promise that peace would come and the faith that it ultimately will. But there is no peace on earth. Why? Why not? Is it not precisely because the world accepts one side of the Christmas message and rejects the other? Because the world will allow Jesus to be the sweet little boy, but it will not bow to the king born to do the will of God. I want you to look at another messianic psalm. This one is not applied to Christmas so much, but it does help us see the consequences of rejecting God's anointed king. This is Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed In your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We can't expect peace on earth as long as men reject the king. Nor should we, as those who enter the kingdom by crowning Christ Jesus the king of our lives, expect anything other than opposition from those who hold power in this world. But what about us? Do we, as those who embrace Jesus as our King, experience peace ourselves? Not peace on earth, but peace in our hearts, in our lives. Not always. It seems that true peace should be the normal condition of our hearts, but is it? And if it's not, why not? Isn't the problem fundamentally the same? Somehow, we lose perspective and fail to embrace Jesus as our king. We fail to obey his rule in our hearts. And the consequences are the same. We don't have any peace. Listen to the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount as he proclaims the principles by which we are to live in his kingdom. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What about it, West Bowles? Will we face the uncertainty that fosters fear and will we find peace in our hearts by obeying the words of Jesus? Will we in this new year, 2009, decide to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness over anything else? Will we learn to let go of worrying about our own welfare and find the real peace that comes from trusting God to do what he said he would do if we will seek first his kingdom? Will we live on the other side of Christmas and embrace Jesus as the sweet little boy born long ago? but not the king of our lives. We have to embrace both. Both sides of Christmas. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we know that you said that we should just let go of our worries, and yet we struggle with that. And we worry about our 401Ks and our jobs and our houses and our possessions, and it's really tough for us to trust you but we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would help us to believe your word and to know that whatever you promised, you can handle, you can fulfill. And so help us to keep our eyes focused in the right direction and to really seek your kingdom and to do your will in this world. We're going to uh, dismiss in just a minute, but I want to invite anybody here that is struggling or Maybe if you're not struggling, you just have uh, something you want to share. There'll be some folks down here that would like to pray with you, and um, we want you to come and take advantage of that. If you've not found peace with God in your heart, and you want somebody to talk to you about that, then please come and we'll we'll do that as well. Thank you again, Lord, for this day. Help us in 2009 to set our face in the direction of seeking first your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget that there are people uh, that want to talk to you about the choir and about um, the blood drive out in the foyer. And so take advantage of that. And if you want some prayer, come on down. We'll see you next week.